the world constantly is telling you in order to achieve things, you have to disown yourself. Like you have to try to be something that you're not. Like you have to shed all of the things that make you unworthy. And most times it's like the things that make you who you are. Um, And so I reject that. This is the As It Should Be podcast. And I'm your host, Tamara Jones. Join me as I speak to the people remaking the world as it should be. We discuss the role of inclusion, equity, and belonging in facing the challenges shaping our society today. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have Anya Sharice joining us. Anya is the CEO of Navigating Culture and the host of the Homesickness Cure podcast. Through her company, she's on a mission to help immigrants and first generations struggling to navigate two cultures, learn how to self-validate, remove self-doubt, and dream bigger. I think that if you liked the Haitians in Corporate America episode that I gave on New Year's Day, then I think you're going to love this episode even more. I won't spoil it for you, so let's go ahead and hop straight into the show. Welcome, Anya. Welcome to As It Should Be, Anya. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Tamara. Um, I'm excited to talk to you about navigating culture as an immigrant. I I think that it'll be um, fun for us to just hop right in. And um, can you tell us exactly what it is that you do at Navigating Culture? Yeah, absolutely. So I am the CEO and founder of Navigating Culture. My name is Anya, as Tamara said. Um, And at Navigating Culture, I'm really focused on creating a community for immigrants and first-gen who are really struggling to navigate two cultures. And the point of the community is to help those immigrants and first-gen immigrants learn how to self-validate, remove self-doubt, and dream bigger. And by dream bigger, I'm specifically talking about redefining archaic ideas of success and figuring out what it means for you individually to have and live out a successful life. That's so cool. And that's really why I wanted, you know, to talk to you on the show today. Um, Can you tell me about your background, like your upbringing? Where are you from and how did you end up coming to America? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. So I grew up in Trinidad. Um, So Trinidad is a tiny island in the Caribbean. It's about um, seven miles off the coast of Venezuela, believe it or not. And, um, when I was 19, um, I applied to colleges in the U S and decided to go to Boston university. Um, and so really that was an interesting decision because I had seen snow, but never really lived in snow. And so coming from a place where it's consistently like 85, 90 degrees to going to a place where it's consistently (laughs) below freezing was definitely, um, an interesting experience, um, and made me really dislike cold weather. But after Boston, um, I moved to San Francisco um, and was there for about four years. So um, pretty simple story. Um, I I decided to go to college and then just like the autonomy of like being in the States um, and was really keen on the job opportunities that I was getting um, in San Francisco and on the West Coast. And so decided to like make my home in the U.S. and stay there. That's interesting that you specifically called out the autonomy that you got by living in the U.S. I guess I I guess my question is like, how how do you mean the difference between the autonomy that you had when you were in Trinidad versus versus your experience when you came to America? Yeah, I so I don't think like I. (laughs) 
was in Toronto on a Wednesday and then got to the States on a Thursday and was like, oh, like, I feel like so independent and autonomous. I just think that Trinidad is a very small country. Um, people know each other um, from a very young age. Like a lot of people have cousins that are the same age as them, et cetera, et cetera. So you really do develop for most people like these really tight bonds because you see the same people and you're interacting with the same people. So it's very like group focused, I feel in Trinidad. Um, and so it's culturally set up that way and it's physically set up that way. Like going on a hike by yourself in Trinidad is not something that you, I would say even beyond should do. It's not something that you can do. Like going to the beach by yourself, it's just like not a thing that people do. One, because one, it's culturally like not expected, but two, it can be very unsafe to do that. And I just feel like because I moved to a place where I had no family, um, there were no other, there were very few Trinis there. Um, and I'm sort of like a person who's sort of like on her own beat. Like I was sort of forced to grow into like this independent person who is like doing things on her own and figuring out things on her own and like making her way through life on her own. And I feel like I really came to enjoy that autonomy and being able to like make decisions for myself without like group think or without other people's like expectations in front of my face. Um, and so I really came to enjoy like that person that I grew into who was like, well, I don't, if I want to try something, I don't need like five people to agree with me before I do it. I can just decide to take this class or decide to do this course in school without like getting the approval of, you know, like the family before I make that decision. Okay. Now I definitely understand a lot better. On the other side of that, when you came, when you actually came to America, um, you're 19 at this point, you're, you're about to, you said you wanted, you entered college here and you went to college in Boston. Um, I can imagine that the feeling of like otherness and like the feeling of otherness might have felt a little overwhelming. Maybe, maybe internally you might have felt like an outsider. Maybe like the people around you may have treated you as such and you internalized that. Like, is that, ex is that an experience that you felt like you had a feeling of otherness? Oh yeah, absolutely. I feel like, um, <laughs> pretty much everywhere I've been and decided to live or work, like, it's just been me. Like, I'm like the only black woman, you know, um, on my floor, I think in college, there were two black people. There was one black guy. And then there was like one black woman and the black woman left <laughs> after one semester. So it was just me and the black guy. And like, I didn't really like vibe with him. So it wasn't just because like, oh, like we're both black. So like we'll automatically be friends. You know, I didn't vibe with him. So there's definitely that scenario. And like, I came from a different country altogether. So there's all these like cultural things that I'm not getting and not understanding. And then I also realized later on that most people didn't even understand what I was saying. Um, because oh, you're yeah, which, uh, you know, like, it's like, are you not really understand what I'm saying? Or are you not trying? Um, I feel like that was like my entire perspective, but a lot of people like didn't understand what I was saying. So I definitely did feel I was lucky, I think, because I did, I was on a floor that was like really open and really international. So I was also interested in like meeting people and like seeing what they were about. But there was absolutely times where I was like, I just like don't feel like I fit in in this at all. But I'm also a very like determined person. So I also feel like I sort of like blocked a lot of that out and was focused on like doing well at school and making sure like I kept my GPA up. And I think a lot of those like loneliness and, and, and feelings of otherness sort of came up when I moved to San Francisco after I graduated from college. And that was when I really decided to 
oh, well, was forced to like delve into that and like figure out like how I was going to be when I came to loneliness and like feeling like other. So how did you, I guess, adding, adding to that, um, how did you, how did you navigate those feelings? Like you said, it happened a lot more when you went to San Francisco. So what, how did I, I can imagine that like now you have more of a thriving community. You don't really feel as excluded as you may have once felt when you were in San Francisco. So how, how do you, how did you navigate that experience or those feelings? Yeah. I think one, it's like, um, accepting those feelings and, and being honest with yourself about these feelings. I think the only way that you can move past something that you perceive as negative is by accepting it and seeing it as it is. So, you know, instead of coming from a place as, oh, I'm not lonely, like I'm fine, like everything's peachy. I really had to like admit to myself that, yes, I was feeling lonely. Like, yes, you know, like I wanted to make friends. I wanted to have a community. Um, And then once I decided that, like once you decide that you want to make a change, it's time to take action. So I really just decided to focus on things that I was interested in. Um, and so like I committed to like different things like reading clubs or I committed to one thing that's really big for me that I talk about a lot is like committing to salsa dancing. Like I would go there like every single week. Um, and I would see the same types of pe- same, same people, sorry. And start to introduce myself to them and start to say, hi, like, how are you? And then I think from there, the other thing that you have to think about is like reframing rejection. Um, because like some people for like their own business or like their own stories, like they're not necessarily going to connect with you. And some people are rude, right. And they're going to like, let you know (laughs) that they're not about you. And I think it's like really important, especially when you're, when you're in a place where you're feeling like not so great about yourself to like really be prepared to like reframe rejection in your own mind. So for me, like how I overcame loneliness and feelings of otherness and create a community was I really decided to put myself out there. Um, I really decided to be consistent with the groups that I was um, hanging out with. You know, you can't just show up like once a month and expect to form community that way. It's like every couple of days, every week, I learned how to reframe rejection. Um, And I really had to figure out like when was the right time to be vulnerable? Because if you're not vulnerable, I think that your relationships tend to stay very superficial. And so it's like understanding and even being brave enough to like put yourself out there when you feel like the time is right. In my head, the first thing that came to my mind is like, wow, that I mean, I feel like that exact same thing just as like, I, I am an American. I'm born, I was born in America. I've moved around a, a ton, but I was born in America. My family is, my family is Haitian. Um, so I'm a first generation American. Um, but just in general, what you were saying, I feel like is universal because making friends, especially just like as an adult is hard. <laughs> like it's so hard, especially since you were specifically talking about when you graduated college, like you were out of college and you were in a different state from where your college is. And that for me sounds like, dang, I can't even do a lot of the things that you just mentioned. (laughs) Um, But I can imagine that when you add a layer of having to navigate new cultural norms, because at this point you've been in the United States for what, maybe five or six years? Nine. Oh, no, at the point when you moved to San Francisco. Yeah, I've been been like about four. You're in the United States for like four years. So I feel like 
the cultural differences are still fairly fresh um, at that point. I feel so like you're navigating new cultural norms and then you're also having to figure out like how to make friends. <laughs> like, I I guess I'm wondering like what helps you the most when it come when it came to finding and making new friends. I know you talked about like going to those classes, um, going to those classes and reframing rejection. Um, is there anything that you like hold on to that's like, this is how I am able to consistently show up, find and make new friends in a new country? Yeah, I think that's a tough question because for me, I don't think it was any like one thing. I think what helped was that I was also doing something that I enjoyed. So it wasn't like if I was going out to a bar and meeting people at a bar, you know, so my enjoyment of that time was only dependent on like whether I connected with someone or whether I had a good conversation. I also really liked salsa dancing. I really liked, you know, like working out. So I think there's also that element. So I wasn't just going to make friends. I was also going because doing this activity fed my soul in some way. Um, so I think that's one thing. And then also like acknowledging that, you know, you don't want to live in isolation. Um, I'm, I'm an introvert. So a lot of times I'm extremely happy by myself. Um, but I do think it's important to like have people there, like, you know, when you want support, like when you need help and to also be there for people in that capacity. And so I think that want and desire sort of like enabled me or like was the driving force between me trying and being consistent. And also like I was open to taking a break, you know, to not meet people if there was a month or so where I was just like, oh, I just feel like people are a lot, but I was still showing up to the salsa classes or the different activities that I was doing. Um, so people were still seeing me and I was still seeing them, but maybe one week I was like, I won't be so extroverted today. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel that. I used to, um, so I live in North Carolina now, but when I, before I moved here, I, I was living in Florida. And one of the things that I committed to doing was aerial yoga. it was it was so but I definitely it was it was really fun but one thing I definitely noticed is the opposite of what you were doing and that was that I was not putting myself out there I was not like I was not um being intentional about like meeting people and talking to people during the classes um and and even after doing that for like half a year I, I was doing that and I was seeing the same people over and over again. I never made like a meaningful friendship. Like these were never people that I talked to outside of those classes. So I can see where that, that making the decision that I don't want to live in solitude, like making the decision that I'm going to put myself out there. Um, even, and, and you have to make that decision even after you decide I'm going to consistently do a thing you have to then decide I'm going to put myself out there while I'm doing the thing. I think that's so true. And I don't think you or anyone should feel bad. I do think we are creatures of our experiences. And so people can be mean, like even people say kids and teenagers can be mean, like adults can be really mean. Like, you know, I've had people say things to me that are completely unwarranted. I'm like, you don't even know me. Like, why are you in my business like that? Um, so yeah, I definitely understand that like people can be mean, um, or just rude in general, but I also like want to encourage like you and like everyone who's listening that a lot of times people are, are mean because of their own insecurities and because they don't like themselves and because they are threatened by like 
your willingness to be open with life <laughs> and they want to be that way, but aren't brave enough to be that way. Um, they probably had a bad day at work and like, don't know how to deal with it. And so just like keeping all those things in mind, you know, after you put yourself out there and somebody's like a snob about it, you can be like, well, maybe this person isn't for me. And I'm glad I found out that today, as opposed from six months from now. Yes, exactly. Um, eventually I did make some friends. They weren't at that yoga studio, but eventually I did make some friends. Um, and a couple of them actually were on the podcast, um, a few episodes ago, back in December when we had like a, it was, the episode was about being Haitian in corporate and beyond. So we were just like, really just talking about our experiences growing up and, um, navigating like corporate, co- corporate culture, um, And one of the things that I felt like kept coming up whenever we talked about our experiences, um, even navigating corporate culture, but also just navigating societal culture um, when, when we were kids, when we were in college, all of the things. One of the things that kept coming up was balancing being Black with being Haitian and being American, because like, I think that what, I think that what that meant for us, what, what it meant for me, I'll say is whenever I was like with my family, I was in, um, or I was in environments where it was a completely Haitian environment, like Haitian church, or it was mostly Haitian church when I wasn't with my family. (laughs) Like when it was, when I was at like a Haitian church, when I was with my family, um, the fact that I was American was very prominent in that, in that setting, because I personally, I'm a first gen, so I didn't speak the language as well as the people who are from the country. Um, I didn't, um, I didn't know some of the nuances that came with like, you know, like, uh, there, there are like metaphors that people use and there are like, um, looks that they give you that I had to learn to understand rather than like inherently knowing. Um, because my mom, she was single, she was a single mom. So she didn't, I wasn't around a ton of, of Haitian people. Um, and, and on top of that, we, my, my family was in a different state than I was. So I didn't have a ton of Haitian people around. So I didn't, those nuances didn't happen for me all the time. And then like with being black, the, the black, the black American kids, they just like, it was a whole thing. Listen to the episode. If you want to learn more about my experience, listen to the the Haitians. uh, I think it's called like being Haitian in corporate America or something like that. Um, But but essentially, like I had to navigate three identities and it felt like a lot. And for you being Trinidadian um, and coming to America, do you con- do you feel like you consider yourself American? Like, is that, is that part of your identity? Do you feel? I don't think I do. <laughs> I don't think I do. Yeah, I'm, it's interesting you bring up that question. Yeah, if you ask me, like, you know, like if we were, say, we're in like LA or San Francisco or something, and you asked me, like, none of people really ask this question so much, but like if they ask me, like, oh, like, what's your heritage? Like, where are you from? Like, what, like, 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 what do you identify as? I think I would say Trinidadian first and foremost. Um, I, I, I don't consider myself to be very American when I come home. Um, the people at home say that. They say I don't sound the same. And, um, I sometimes have like little triggers around certain things that are considered like cultural that I'm like, just because we've been doing it for a hundred years, I mean, we still have to do it. Like I get all the shade for that. Um, but I still think that, 
maybe because, you know, like I think as a black immigrant woman, you're not necessarily like accepted with open arms in America. So maybe I'm not like fighting to be seen as one, even though I have a passport that's American, which is useful for traveling. But (laughs) Um, yeah, like maybe, maybe that's the reason, maybe that's the reason why I, um, I think when I got to the States, instead of thinking about it as like, oh, I'm a Trinidadian and how do I find myself in America? How do I merge those identities? I think I was sort of coming at it from like, who, who is Anya? So it was less about like, I'm Trinidadian. Like, how do I figure that out within the scope of America? It's kind of like, I'm Anya and I, and I am a Trinidadian. That's one part of my identity, but like, who am I in this space? And I think I would have felt that way, whether I moved to like France or Spain or Australia, it's like, who am I? Who am I trying to be um, and battling with like other people's expectations of me while still trying to like stay focused and keep in my own lane and ignore them as much as possible? Absolutely. And that so assimilation is the first thing that comes to mind when you say that. And and so I'm wondering, I guess, like, so I have I have thoughts on assimilation. I I wonder (laughs) I wonder if you have thoughts as well um, as to kind of like what assimilation means to you and whether or not assimilating into a culture, um, whether you think that's an effective way to navigate making connections and being like experiencing a new culture, whether like it it feels like the answer coming that's about to come from you is no, because you're very much like I am me and I'm going to like figure out who I am in this space, not like try to, you know, be a part of it. Like, I don't know, but go ahead. T- tell me what your, your thoughts are. Yeah. So, so my first thought is sometimes in assimilation is inevitable, right? I think even if you're an American and you live in California, but let's say you move to New York and you've been there for 10 years, I think there are certain things about like what you like to eat or like how you walk or like how you navigate public transit. Like I think some of those things will rub off on you, whether you want it to or not, because you're hanging around New Yorkans, um, you're in a different space. I think your environment to some degree does rub off on you. And whether it's intentional or not, there is a certain point of assimilation there. Um, I, you know, like certain things like your values will change too, depending on like the cut, the city that you're in. Cause think about it. Like some cities are like, probably more liberal or conservative or some cities have a more of like an international influence than not, you know? And I think all of those things impact, um, assimilation and like how much you feel you have to assimilate. Um, in terms of like your main question though, um, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think like your aim should be to assimilate. I think your aim should be like, who am I and who do I want to be in this situation? Because I feel like assimilation or like forcing yourself to assimilate has a certain degree of like pretense to it. And I feel like pretending inevitably learns leads to um, burnout and, and self-betrayal. And I think that may not be apparent in the first two, three, six months of doing something like that. But I do think in the long run, um, that will, that starts to rear its head in like all sorts of ways. And so just to encapsulate my answer, cause I said a lot, I think one assimilation is inevitable to some degree. I think two, depending on where you are, you may be forced to assimilate more than, than not. I think if you're in a city, for instance, where there's tons of different types of people and tons of people coming in and going out and it's super transient, maybe you can 
find, you know, different pockets where you don't have to assimilate as much as you would if you went to a different type of place. Um, but I think three, um, assimilation should not be the goal because like, what do you even start with? <laughs> like, how do you even begin the assimilation process? If you're like, Oh, like, this is something I want to do. Like, think about it. Like, what does it mean to be an American? Like, Describe it for me. I don't know. And I feel like that's the problem with a lot of identity politics that happen in this country is like, is like a lot of the times people will sit, like, you'll hear things on social media or um, other spaces where people will legit like say to people like, you are not an American. And, and I don't know exactly if, if, and I feel like that would be a great question to ask a person who said that, because like, what does it mean to be an American? The only thing that I can think of is that you, you like have been in this country and you feel a connection to the country. Cause, cause the thing about America is like, we don't have a specific cultural, like in Trinidad, I know that you guys have a very specific culture because of the country is such is so small and because um like a lot of the people are very similar and you don't and do you do you feel like there's a lot of um immigration into trinidad from other countries does that happen a lot do you think so so now there is now there are lots of immigrants from venezuela but for a long time the society cultural makeup was I don't want to say stagnant because culture is always evolving and shifting. But in terms of the makeup of people, like, of course, there were um, Native Americans who were here and then the colonists came and then there were slaves and then there were Chinese indentured laborers and Indian indentured laborers. But for a long time, like that was like the makeup of the society. And so I think you're right. Like we had like 150 years or so to sort of like develop within this sort of like insular unit. Whereas, yeah. Whereas America, like for as long as for a very, very long time has had this influx of immigrants and people and it's so big, like you can have di different cultural expressions when you think about one side of the country, California versus the Midwest versus the East. So for me, it's like, yeah, assimilation, like where would I even start? Um it would probably be like the voices that are most like vocal about like what it means to be a real American. And like, do I want to assimilate to those types of people? Like I can tell you the answer. It's no. Yeah. <laughs> so. Absolutely. I agree. And I think that part of, I think that one of the things that come with American culture, and I'm going to call it that with air quotes, even though air quotes, American culture. Um, one of the things that come with American culture is the, constant influence from other cultures and from subcultures within America. So like the language in America changes constantly. It changes year to year, decade by decade, the language will change. And it's because we, the main stream gets influenced by subcultures within the, within the country. And whether those subcultures are, um, are long time American, um, People like like black culture, for example, black American culture is very distinct. Um, so whether the subculture is that or whether it is an immigrated culture, like um, all of the Latinx countries, they have some influence into what American culture looks like today. And, and it has a lot of in, they have a lot of influence into our language. They have a lot of influence into our um, the way that we 
coming like the way that we inter, um, interact with each other and our experiences. A lot of Latinx um, countries have influence in that way. And same with, you know, other other countries. So I feel like America is a combination of a bunch of subcultures um, because even even the <laughs> what I feel like used to be the the symbol for American culture was Midwestern and, and Southern cultures um, and white Midwestern and white Southern cultures. <laughs> and and I feel like even those are subcultures because there are very few people even in those spaces who represent those identities in the way that it's shown to the masses. America. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah. To represent America to the masses. So yeah, no, America is a combination of a bunch of subcultures. There is, I, I don't really feel like there's a clear definition of what it means to be American. And so to assimilate to that is like, how would you? Um, and I think as a black woman to assimilate to that would sort of be disowning myself in, 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 in a lot of ways. And like, that's one of my goals. It's I think as a black woman, as an immigrant, um, the world constantly is telling you in order to achieve things, you have to disown yourself. Like you have to try to be something that you're not like, you have to shed all of the things that make you unworthy. And most times it's like the things that make you who you are. Um, and so I reject that <laughs> and I'm, I actively, and then and I say that with the caveat of like, I'm not above it. You know what I mean? I'm not being like, oh, I've, I've figured this out and I, I'm not affected by it anymore. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's like an active decision. And there are times when I find myself slipping and I have to be like, nope, like, who are you? Like, who do you want to be? Um, it, you, you don't have to subscribe um, to other people's definitions of what they feel you should be. And I think if you are assimilating, it's like, yeah, you're, you're picking a couple outward expressions of culture um, that you feel will be the most acceptable and trying to mold yourself into that. And again, like I was saying, I think doing that is pretense. I think doing that um, can actually lead yourself to burnout and feelings of self-betrayal. And I think we should all be leaning to like, how can I love myself more? Like, how can I accept myself more? How can I align to the person that I want to be? Um, so that's my answer. <laughs> that's an awesome, perfect answer. And I think that it leads really well into my favorite question. I ask this question to everybody who comes on the show. Um, what does self-care look like for Anya? What does, what do you do? Like, how do you make sure that the work that you're doing and helping all of these people navigate their own experiences how do you make sure that that doesn't kill you? Yeah, I think, well, one, I, I do like talking to people about their experiences because I think when I first moved here, I wasn't really interacting with a lot of immigrants who look like me. And so I did feel alone in that when you talk about loneliness and beginning of the podcast, like that made me feel lonely. I'm like, oh, I'm like the only one. And like talking to people and realizing that you're not the only person who experiences these sorts of things is like really helpful for me. So that in a sense is a type of self-care. And then I would say other types of self-care for me, there's like the typical self-care and then there's internal self-care. So like external internal self-care. So I love having a great meal. Like food is like a big thing for me. Like a lot of people eat for sustenance. I don't really enjoy that. I love like a really great meal with a really good glass of wine or something like that. Like that's really exciting to me. I, I love doing that. And then I think going and being near water is like really refreshing for me. Like even something as simple as like 
taking a scented shower. Oh my goodness. Like I, I just feel, I always forget how great it feels. And I'm like, oh, this was amazing. I love essential oils. So great. And then I think on a internal, like deeper level, it's like saying things, saying no to things that don't serve me. Um, I think to untangling myself from people who don't respect me is like a big one. It's like observing how people treat me and then be like, actually, this is not dramatic in any way, but I don't think you respect me or treat me like if I have value. So I'm going to just really like slowly, like untangle myself from you <laughs> because you're not doing great things for me or my self-worth. And I think the third thing for self-care is like focusing on the woman that I want to be and like what I want to achieve in the world. Um, it's like another type of self-care. So for me, there's like the external, like typical ones. And then it's like, I also have like internal ones. That hit me in so many ways. It hit me in so many ways. I was, I was like untangling myself from people who don't respect me. That's a quote. I'm going to put it on a pillow. I'm gonna, <laughs> um, so I thank you so much. I, I feel like that, um, that is a perfect end to, to our conversation. Um, I would love for people to be able to connect with you, to be able to learn more about navigating culture and, and how, how can they get in touch with you or your company if, um, if they want to learn more? Yeah. So, um, navigatingculture.co is the website, but I'm most active on Instagram. So that's N-A-V-I-G-A-T-I-N-G culture, C-U-L-T-U-R-E. So you can find me there. And then um, I also have a podcast. It's called The Homesickness Cure. So if you want to hear like me talking to other immigrants and first gen about navigating life and, and navigating culture, um, you can always pop onto that as well. 